Well, let me ask you a question. Um, have any Verukas in your world? Um, do you know any Verukas? Do you have a Veruca in your family? Um, this is what I mean. This is the kid that is so self-absorbed, so into themselves that the whole world is, I need, I need, I need, I want it, I want it, I want it, I want it now, and if you don't give it to me now, you're going to pay. In fact, I'm not gonna go to school, I'm gonna sit down, I'm not gonna do what you say because you're a rotten, mean father, a rotten, mean mother, you never give me anything I want, and you're going to pay if I don't get my way. And then you've got the moms who say to their husbands, you're going to be very unpopular around here, Henry, if you don't deliver soon. To which dad replies, Veruca, honey, darling, sweetheart, baby, I'm gonna give you everything you want, just give me time. I, that just makes me sick to hear that kind of thing. Have you ever been, uh, this reminds me of uh, a time when we were younger and had little kids. It's like when you go to your kid's friend's house and um, so that family has little kids, your family has little kids and your yeah, the, the kids are all playing, having a great time. The parents are having a great time. And all of a sudden, you hear some blood-curdling scream coming from the front yard. And everybody thinks, somebody's been hit by a car because that's what it sounds like. And they take off for the front yard only to find out that your son is sitting on the red tricycle out in the front and their son, it's his tricycle, and he's freaking out and losing his mind because somebody's on my trike and I want to be on my trike right now and he's not getting off. And so you run and you like, you know, get your kid off the trike. You ever been there? You know, that kid, you know, like all of a sudden he stops his crying, you know, there's no more tears and he goes over and he gets on his bike and he's gonna pedal away because he got his way. You know, maybe I told the story wrong. Maybe the story was that was like your kid's trike and your friends came over, you know? I mean, what do you call a child like that? What do you call a child like that? When I grew up, you called them spoiled brats. Now, here, here's the deal. You're, our children are little sinners, okay? Our children are broken and our children need help. Um, and they're going to be brats from time to time. But here's what I want to say to you today as we go into this. You, you might be saying to yourself right now, what does this have to do with anything? You'll find out in just a minute because you can already go to Genesis chapter 37 if you want to because that's where we're going to be today um, as we look at the life of Joseph. But there is nothing uglier, my friends, than a spoiled brat. All kids will be brats from time to time, but there is nothing uglier than a spoiled brat. But this is the world that we live in today. We live in a world today where the child is the king of the home and the parents exist to serve and provide the child's every demand, every desire in the name, get this now, in the name of good parenting. In fact, we're told that if we don't act like this and we don't spoil our children, we're not good parents and we can't be good parents unless we favor them and we exalt them and we coddle them and we pamper them and we protect them and we baby our children. And the reality is that this is the 21st century parenting. This is what we're living in today. And what we're gonna learn today, because last week we saw from the scripture that all these things in the past were written for us to teach us today. 
And so we're gonna learn what I've entitled the sermon today, Lessons on Ruining Your Family. Now you might say, wait a minute, Phil, I don't wanna ruin my family. You're right, we're not teaching you how to ruin your family, we're teaching you how others have ruined their families so that you don't, we don't ruin our own families. And uh, it's gonna be a two-part sermon. This week is Lessons from a Weak Dad, and you have that in your notes. And uh, if, you don't, if you don't have your notes open, you can go onto the app and you can open the notes so you can follow along. Next week will be Lessons from Spoiled Children. But today is Lessons from a Weak Dad in Genesis chapter 37. Here's what I know about you, uh, especially those of you who are parents and are raising your children right now. I know that you want a happy home. Am I wrong? You want a happy home, you want a happy uh, life, you want happy halls and happy walls. That's what Robin says all the time. I just want a home with happy halls and happy walls, Phil. Um, We want our children to like each other. We want our children to play together and to play nicely and to learn how to play nicely with other children. We want our children to grow up and be responsible teenagers and responsible adults and get their own families and start their own families and raise responsible children of their own and then just generational happiness and prosperity um, goes forward with our families. That's what we all want, right? The problem is that's what we all want, but we tend to do things And we're gonna see here in this story, we tend to do things because of the way we have been raised up in a lot of ways that continue a path of destruction for our families and a path of disunity and division and hatred and unhappy halls and unhappy walls because of the way that we're parenting. And so we're gonna learn these lessons from a weak dad here in Genesis chapter 37. This is Joseph's dad, Jacob. So look at me at Genesis 30, look with me at Genesis 37, verses one through four. So Jacob lived in the land of his father sojourning in the land of Canaan. These are the generations of Jacob. Joseph, being 17 years old, was pasturing the flock with his brothers. He was a boy with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. And Joseph brought a bad report of them to their fathers. Now, kids, if you're listening in on this today, what that means is that he's a tattletale. He went home and told and tattled on his brothers whatever they were doing out in the field. That's what that means in that verse. Now, verse three, Israel, this is Jacob, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he was the son of his old age and he made him a robe of many colors. Ooh, ooh, everybody say ooh with me. Just say ooh. Ooh, Joseph is so special and because he was the son of Jacob's and Rebekah's, uh, Rachel's old age. They made him a special robe, a special coat, and they loved him more than anybody else. Just say it one more time because it feels good to say it. Ooh, how special is Joseph? Verse four, but when his brother saw that their father loved him, Joseph, more than all of his other brothers, What did they do? They hated him and could not speak peacefully to him. What we're gonna see in this story are two parental mistakes. We're gonna observe those mistakes, and those mistakes are this, parental favoring and parental spoiling, the favoring and spoiling of a child. And these two parental tactics are extremely dangerous, and I'm going to present to you today that they are actually abusive to the health of any home. 
Let's look at spoiling first, and then we're gonna jump into favoritism. Spoiling is this, to ruin or destroy the value or quality of something or someone. So basically, to spoil them is to ruin them and destroy their value and their quality. And for whatever reason, because I'm twisted up and I had a weird childhood probably, um, it took me right to, when I heard this word spoiled and I started working on it, to spoiled milk. Have you ever tasted spoiled milk? I remember, now, Please forgive me for telling you this, but, and those of you who don't know me, just know I'm really broken, okay? But I grew up, and there were six kids in my home, and we drank a lot of milk in the home, and for whatever reason, when I was a kid, I didn't like taking the time to open the milk jug. I would shake it, open it, and I didn't have to take the time to pour it in a cup, so I would chug it, okay? But I'm old enough to know that uh, the time whenever there was no jug, there wasn't a gallon jug, it was a carton. Remember the cartons? You guys remember the cartons? You know, a milk, you get like a half gallon carton, and I would pop that baby open, and it was, had this nice little V on it, and you could just chug that. And I remember the time that I went to the refrigerator, and of course, you look around first, you make sure nobody's watching, you pull out the milk, you open up, because you get really in trouble if you get caught doing this, and you just chug that milk, only to find out that it was like after the fifth, sixth, seventh chug, you start to realize there is something really wrong here. And it's the, the milk is spoiled. Now, I still think to this day, my mom used to set me up and do that because she know I'd chug it. But I would chug that spoiled milk. And I remember, you just want to vomit once you've got that in your system because then you think how horrible that tasted. But now that's in my stomach. And what's it going to do? That's what I think of when I think about spoiling children. Because when you spoil someone, you end up harming their character by being too lenient, first of all, that's how you spoil someone, and then allowing them to be too indulgent in the way that they live. Scripture shows us that you spoil a child by withholding, by holding discipline, withholding discipline from them, and or shielding your children from the consequences of their sinful attitudes and their sinful behaviors. I'm gonna have on the screen behind me, and you might wanna write this down, Proverbs 29, 15. And parents, these are really good passages for you to have in your hip pocket, so write them down somewhere. To discipline, in fact, you might wanna take these and write them on poster boards and hang them in your house, especially since your kids are home now for a while from school, and you can like rehearse these every single day if you want to. Proverbs 29, 15. To discipline a child produces wisdom, but a mother is disgraced by an undisciplined child. Another version puts it this way. A child left to himself, so no discipline and no instruction. Leave a child to himself, he will bring shame to his mother. Proverbs 23, verses 13 and 14 says, don't fail to discipline your children. The rod of punishment will not kill them. Physical discipline may well save them from death. Now, people will say to me right now, and some of you maybe are online saying to me, wait a minute, Phil, wait a minute. I love my child too much to make him unhappy and to make him uncomfortable, and heaven forbid I would ever inflict any kind of pain on my child in discipline. Well, I'd like to say to you, you do not love your child too much to make them unhappy or uncomfortable. In fact, if you are unwilling to make them unhappy and uncomfortable, you don't love your child. Look at Proverbs 13, 25. Now, let me, can I just stop for a second? I'm not saying these things to you. And I didn't sit in my office and make all this stuff up. I'm bringing to you what God teaches us about disciplining our children and taking care of our children and raising them. 
which is called raising them in the nurture and admonition of the Lord. But look at Proverbs 13, 24. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate their, did I read that right? Did I read that right? Did I read that right? Let's go back and reread that because I think I skipped over something and I missed it somehow. Those who spare the rod of discipline hate, there it is, hate their children. Those who love their children care enough to discipline them. Let me just say to you, when you spoil your child, which is called permissive parenting, with no consequences for their actions and no instruction when they do wrong, if you take a do whatever you want, my son or my daughter, approach to parenting, then you set your child on a path of self-destruction. You give them a false sense of who they are, that somehow they were born to sit on the throne of your home and that the whole world revolves around them. In fact, they will believe from birth that everyone around them, mom, dad, siblings, family, friends, employers, employees, exist to serve them and to meet their every need. And I dare you to prove me wrong on that. I can say this with confidence because this is what the Bible teaches about it. To make things worse, if you spoil your children, your kids will be disappointed most of their adult lives because, my friends, this is not how the world works. And you raise them in a fairy tale type of bubble where they think they can get anything and everything they want when they want it. And when that bubble pops, and it will pop, they will be angry, disappointed, and bitter adults who are mad at the world and everything in it, and they will end up actually being mad at God their whole lives because things aren't going my way right now. And when life doesn't go the way they had planned it and the way that they had hoped, they will pitch a little adult, they will pitch a big adult fit that they used to pitch little baby fits on. And someone would come and say, oh, Johnny, oh, Susie, here, you can have whatever you want. That doesn't happen when life, are you, are you with me? Life doesn't work that way. In fact, God, because he loves your children, and the Bible says that God disciplines those that he loves, he will step in and discipline them, and they will have to go. Just please, please focus in on this right now. Your children will have to go through all kinds of hardships, and we're gonna learn this as we work through Joseph's life. All kinds of hardships in order to learn the life lessons that they should have learned under your care when they were small and impressionable, because that's your job as a parent. These are the lessons that they don't learn they didn't learn when they grew up in your home. These are the experiences they're going to have to experience that you were supposed to protect them from and shelter them from, but instead, by, by training them, but instead you sheltered them and protected them from the consequences of the things they should have learned. And life is now gonna have to teach them those lessons and God's going to have to bring the discipline into their lives and teach them those things that you should have taught them when they were small, when it's a whole lot easier to, to deal with the, the consequences of my sin whenever I'm a child than it is whenever I'm an adult. Your spoiled children, if they want to be godly when they grow up, they will have to spend the rest of their lives trying to get themselves off of the throne that you put them on. And my question to you, is that what you want for your children? 
here's a point to ponder. Is this weak parenting style, a permissive and passive parenting, possibly why we're seeing a whole generation of young activists who are so easily offended by everything and are so quick to support an agenda where everyone above them exists to give them free stuff and they feel entitled that somehow they deserve to be served in this way and deserve everything to be given to them and they don't have to earn anything? They don't have to earn those things and the right to have those things? I just wonder, because this is part of the world that we're living in today. I know that you don't want that for your children. I know that you don't want that for your home. But what we are going to see in the weeks to come is that that is going to be the effect of permissive and weak, passive parenting and destroying Jacob's family. Now that's spoiling, let's go into favoritism really quick. So favoritism is this, it's the practice of giving unfair preferential treatment to one person or group at the expense of another. This is what I call false exaltation. Okay, bear with me, all right? You, you okay? You okay here? Are you okay at home? Okay, bear with me because I go into this, all right? This is soft, false exaltation. And this is what it looks like. You are my child, and you are so special, and you are so gifted, and you're, so, you're different from everyone else. You are so special. You far outweigh everybody. You're better than your friends. You're better than your brothers and sisters, and I'm going to treat you as though you're special because you're more beautiful than everybody else. You're more athletic than everybody else. In fact, you're going to be like the number one soccer star in the world because you can kick the ball. You can hit the ball. You're so gifted and you're so smart and I'm gonna put you in like a special class because you're so special above everybody else. Barf. Okay, can you guys laugh? I've got like a handful of people here. I'm playing with this and I'm over-exaggerating it, but the reality is this is happening all the time. And we live in a generation where this is how we think we're supposed to parent our children. In fact, I want you to hear this because it is said that favoritism is not based on selflessness but on selfishness. It's, I want you to know, my son, or I want you to know, my daughter, that you mean more to me than anyone else, and that makes me feel good to know that you know that. And when you favor one child over others, you set them on a path of relational dysfunction because they think that they are more special than everyone else, and when that happens in the home, you end up with all kinds of sibling rivalry and sibling jealousy that will lead to resentment and hatred, and it will go on for a lifetime if you don't get a hold of it. Sibling jealousy is terrible. It's a terrible thing that will divide the relationships in your home it will bring division in your home, and that's not what you want. That's not the desire that you have for your home. In fact, you want unity. But spoiling your child and favoring your child only brings division and disunity, and we see that in this passage. And when you favor one child over the others, you end up hurting the very subject of your affection and end up crippling all the rest of your children in the process 
In fact, your children, in order to survive your need to have you, your favorite, you will force your children to be more mature than they're ready to be and actually more mature than you are in this whole thing. This happened in my own home. Uh, my brother has resented me his whole life, and I, I never have figured that out. I don't, really don't even know why he did that. And when my sister um, died, we were at her funeral service, and I took him out one day, and we're adults now, we're in our 50s, and I took him out on a walk one day, and I said, can you just help me out with what, why you resent me? There is like a resentment with me, and this is what he said, and he had clenched teeth when he said this. He said, Dad loved you more than he loved me. Now, my dad wasn't even overtly showing favoritism, but my dad and I had a personality that kind of clicked together, and so I liked to do the things that my dad liked to do, and so we did those things together. But he thought that was favoritism. He thought that dad loved him, me more than he loved him, and he has resented it his entire life to the point, my friends, that when we were standing, burying my father, my brother turned to me and he said, you know dad loved you more than he loved me. Here's what I want to say to you. Even when you aren't actively involved in favoritism, that can divide your family. But think about what happens when we overtly favor our children, which is what's happening here with Jacob and his sons. God understands that danger of favoritism and he won't even tolerate it in his own family. Look at James chapter two, verses one uh, through four and verse nine. My dear brothers and sisters, how can you claim to have faith in our glorious Lord Jesus Christ if you favor some people over others? How can you favor other people and claim to be a believer? For example, suppose someone comes into your meeting dressed in fancy clothes and expensive jewelry and another comes in who is poor and dressed in dirty clothes. If you give special attention and a good seat to the rich person, but you say to the poor one, you can stand over there or else sit on the floor, well, doesn't this discrimination show that your judgments are guided by evil motives? So what is driving favoritism? Selfishness. See, love and friendship are based on selflessness, but favoritism is based on selfishness. Verse 11, listen to me, verse nine, listen to me, dear brothers and sisters. If you favor some people over others, you are committing a sin, the Bible says. And so Genesis 3, 37, verses three and four. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any other of his sons. They made him a great coat of many colors to prove it. But when his brothers saw that their father loved him more than all his brothers, they hated him and could not speak peaceably, peaceably, peacefully to him. This is the result of weak parenting permissive, passive parenting that involves spoiling and favoring your child. Now, I want to hear you, I want you to hear me loud and clear. Every person is responsible for his or her actions. We don't get to sin and then say, well, I don't have to bear the consequence of that sin because somebody else did something to me back here or my mom and dad didn't parent me properly, but I want, to, I want you to hear because we're talking about parenting here. The person that's at fault here, the people that are at fault here are mom and dad in this story. 
because the way that they parent, their poor parenting, put Joseph in the position that he put him in, that they put him in, and put the brothers in the position that they put them in. And they set them on a path for failure. Now, Joseph doesn't appear on the scene here at 17, and um, they just started spoiling him, or they just started favoring him. You know, you, every once in a while, you might favor your child, and it's gonna tick your, their siblings off. That's not what's happening here. This is a lifetime. Up to 17 years of this has been going on, and his brothers are sick of it. And they're gonna show it. They're gonna prove it by the way that they act later on, which is what we're gonna work on next week. All of this that we're seeing here is a product of generational dysfunction. And what I mean by that is this stuff's been going on in the family all along, ever since their children came onto the scene. But I want you to hear, and I'm gonna show you in just a minute, how this has been going on in Jacob's family all along. And if we had the time, we could do a study and go all the way back and see these patterns that were developed here in this story, all the way back to Abraham. And those things are happening in that generation, passed to the next generation, and passed to the next generation of dysfunction. And as a result, permissive and passive parenting goes on. And I want to say to you that this kind of parenting that we're seeing here is a form of child abuse. And it's been going on in this story for a long time. Now, there are three kinds of dysfunctional, derelict, and dangerous dads that I want you to see here as we go into There's first the abusive dad. This is the whatever I want, it's all about me, dad. He's the guy that's going to get what he wants and everyone around him better give him what he wants. Then there's the permissive father. It's the whatever you want because it's all about you, dad, and parenting style. And then there's the passive father, which is the whatever father, okay? This is the guy that I don't care. Do whatever you want, be whatever you want. I'm not gonna get involved. Now, we're not gonna talk about the actively abusive fathers because that's not what's happening here in this story. He's more of a permissive and passive father style. But I do wanna bring this up, that there are, that I believe that actively abusive fathers are thieves. And what I, I just wanna stop right here and say that if you find yourself on the, on the wrong side of an abusive parent, an abusive father, abusive mother, or in an abusive situation, you got an abusive husband, you need to get out of the abuse. There is no excuse for abuse at all. And you need to get some help, you need to get out from underneath that because these things, especially those who are actively abusing, which is physical abuse, verbal abuse, emotional abuse, sexual abuse, and spiritual abuse, you need to get out from underneath it. But I wanna talk to abusive fathers here and talk to you about this. An abusive father is the whatever I want, it's all about me, dad, okay? Does that sound familiar? And who does that sound like? Let me, let me, let me do it this way for you. Me, 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 my, 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 I need, I need, I want, I want, and if you don't give me what I want, and you don't give me what I want right now, I'm gonna pitch a fit, I'm not gonna go to school, I'm not gonna do what you want, you're a horrible, mean parent. Who does this sound like? Who does the abusive, actively abusive father who everything is whatever I want, it's all about me, sound like? A spoiled brat, an adult spoiled brat. It is possible that many abusive parents are the products of passive, permissive, spoiling, and favoring parents. 
I read this, one of the authors that I was reading this week on this said this, the degree to which you were spoiled as a child is the degree to which you were spoiled as a child. This person is frustrated and angry because his view of the world is that I want what I want and I want it now and whenever we become adults, we actually get to the point and some get to the point where I will beat it out of you if I have to in order to get what I want. In fact, they move way past the I'm going to not go to school anymore if you don't give it to me. They've learned the art of just taking whatever they want or need from everyone around them because they are thieves. The actively abusive father is intimidating, which steals your child's peace. The actively abusive father is controlling, which steals your child's autonomy. The actively abusive father is damaging, which steals your child's dignity. The actively abusive father is belittling, which steals your child's identity. And in some cases, the actively abusive father is lethal, which in that case steals your child's life. Now, these aren't new to me. I didn't make this up. I actually brought this out of a book that I was reading. But I want to say this to you, that we're not talking about actively abusive fathers today in this story because I don't believe Jacob was actively abusive, but I want to, to submit to you that passive, permissive parenting is abusive parenting because of the destruction that it causes to the home. The passively abusive father is unapproachable. That's the grumpy dad. That's the dad that whenever he comes home, everybody knows what time dad's getting home because they all split into their rooms and they leave because they don't wanna be around when dad gets home because he's never in a good mood and so there's avoidance going on. There's the unavailable dad, which is the busy dad. This is the guy who's working all the time. He's a workaholic. He finds his significance in work or in playing golf or in playing other sports or he's on TV all the time or he's whatever. He's just busy dad and he's unavailable. You've got the unaware dad who is the clueless dad. And I just wanna say to you that it's not okay to be clueless when you're parenting children. It's not okay not to know what's going on in your kids' lives. Does anybody want to say amen to that? See, we live in a society where kids can say to their parents, get out of my business, it's none of your business. Get off my phone, it's none of your business. Get off my computer, it's none of your business. I'm going to lock myself in my room and you aren't going to ask me any questions. That's baloney. Did I just say baloney? Okay, that ages me. But it's baloney, it's baloney. Your, your kid is supposed, is your kid. And, and fathers who are clueless dads that don't have a clue what's going on behind the scenes, they don't know who their, their friends, the kid's friends are, they don't know who their kid's boyfriend or girlfriend is, they don't know what they're doing after school, they don't know what they're doing before school, they don't know what they're doing in their bedroom behind closed doors, they don't know what they're doing on their computer and their other devices. That's derelict in your duty. If you're a clueless father or a clueless mother, get involved in your kids' lives. They're your children. They need help. There's the inaccessible dad. This is the earth to dad. This is the guy who's never there. And then there's the unwilling dad, which is a lot like the clueless dad. This is the careless dad. My friends, listen to me. There is way too much of this, what we're talking about right here, in Christian families. And we see this in Jacob's family, uh, Joseph's dad. Because Jacob was a permissive, passive father, and as a result, 
He was a failure as a father and he was derelict in his duties as a dad. Now, like I said, and we're gonna work on lessons from spoiled children next week about the behaviors and attitudes that came out of the children who were products, right? They're products of Jacob and Rachel's poor parenting and, and Leah's poor parenting and Bilhah and Zilpah for all that, for all that matter. But I want you to also know that though Jacob is responsible for his actions, he can actually trace these patterns back to his parents. And I don't have time to get into it deeply, but his mom and dad, Isaac and Rebecca, you know, Jacob was a twin. Jacob and Esau were born as twins, and Esau happened to pop out first, and then comes Jacob. So Esau was the firstborn. But Rebecca, because she, by, by the way, Isaac, favored Esau over Jacob, and Rebekah favored Jacob over Esau, and so she was so conniving and taught her son how to connive in such a way to lie and cheat his way into stealing his brother's blessing from his dad. Actually figured out a way, go read the story, go figure it out a way to put on a costume so his dad, who was blind at the time, and, or almost completely blind, couldn't really tell the difference, so she put him on a coat on him that made him feel and smell like his brother so that he could steal his blessing. That ended up ruining the relationship between these two twin brothers to the point where Jacob had to literally run for his life because of the hatred of his brother Esau. So now he goes and he runs to his uncle Laban's house because he wants to marry one of the daughters, Rachel, who he falls in love with, and he wants to marry Rachel. But here's what happens in that family. Because there was favoring going on there, Laban did not refuse to let Rachel get married first because he's favoring Leah, so he sneaks Leah into Jacob's tent on the night of their wedding, and Jacob wakes up the next morning and Ah, who is this? This is Leah. What has happened here? But he tricks him, okay? So now he's married Leah, and now he's got to marry Rachel. And the thing that kills me, though, is that Jacob never learned from his mom and dad. He never learned how to stand up and do the right thing and to stand up against his uncle Laban and says, no way, this is not happening. What you did is wrong. I will not stand for this, which is what men are supposed to do whenever wrong comes into play. So now he's got two wives. He was so weak, so permissive, and so passive that his wives get into this contest about who can have the most children and who can bear the most sons. And so in this competition that they're having, they have maidservants. They each had a maidservant, Bilhah and Zilpah. And so they give their maidservants to Jacob and say, marry them and and have sex with them and have children with them. And we'll claim those children for ours because she's my maidservant. Now, what should Jacob have done at that point whenever the, the wives submitted that to him? Uh, ladies, get a hold of yourselves. This is not happening. This is wrong. Two wives are enough. I don't need four. I'm just joking. I'm just joking with that. But two wives are enough. No, this is not gonna happen. This is wrong. We're not gonna do this. Get a hold of yourselves. God will give you what God's going to give you and stand up and be the man that he should have, but he wouldn't even stand up and do that. 
He was too permissive and too passive as a young man who developed into a permissive, passive man who developed into a permissive, passive husband who ends up developing into a permissive, passive father. And I, you've got to see this. I've got to take the time to show you this. Genesis 35, 22. You're gonna hate this. I hate reading this. But this is what is the result of a person who has experienced passive Permissive parenting who turns into a passive, permissive man. Verse 22 of Genesis 35. While Israel, Jacob, was living in the region, Reuben, Reuben's his firstborn son, went in and slept with his father's concubine, Bilhah, and Israel heard of it. In case you missed what happened here, Jacob's oldest son, went in and slept with Bilhah, his father's wife. And the Bible says, and Israel heard of it. Now when I read this, I'm thinking, you've got to be kidding me, right? Jacob, what are you gonna do about it? And the Bible says, and Israel heard of it. And? did nothing about it. I want to submit to you that he did nothing about it because that had become his normal and he experienced that from a generational pattern that had been coming down and he took it on and he absorbed that into his own being and his own style of leadership in the home. And it fell apart to this level. You know, even when he observed the hatred and jealousy of his own sons in verses 10 and 11 in chapter 37, and the hatred that his brothers had for Joseph because of his favoring of Joseph, he did nothing about it. That was his chance, friends, and I'm speaking to the men mostly today, but that was his chance to stand up and go have a talk with his children and set things on the right path and say, this is enough, we are not going here anymore. This was his time to step in and play the significant role in the health of his family, and he missed it. He went back to his normal, and he let it go right by him, and he failed. He was derelict in his duty to lead his home, just as he had always been. And men, I just wanna say to you, this does not have to be the way that our story ends in our homes. We can change it. It's time to break the generational dysfunction. Some of you, maybe you don't have a gener. I, I doubt it, but you put, maybe you don't have the generational dysfunction. Maybe you're starting the dysfunction. You can stop and change that right now. You can change the course that you're on. You can change the course of your family. No matter what your reasoning is for being the way that you are and parenting the way that you are that is a negative way and is having negative effects on your family, you can change that today. There needs to be a point of decision to intentionally stop and draw a line in the sand and say, no more, this is not happening in my family anymore. Some of us as dads need to humble ourselves and admit and confess our sin of permissiveness and passivity and you need to step into your role and you need to lead your home. Some of you need to step into your role so your wife doesn't have to do the thing you're supposed to do, that you're, you're responsible to do, that you have been 
gifted to do and equipped to do in your home, to do the things that only men can do in the home. I probably get in trouble for saying that, but that is true. There is a role that the dads play that the women can never play. Some of you women, I, I, my heart bleeds for you because you're having to step in because you're, you've got an absentee husband for whatever reason at whatever level and you're having to step in. God bless you because you're trying to do and be the things that you're not equipped to do and be, but you have to because there is no dad to do it and we're asking for God to give you strength to help with that. But I, need, I know this, that some men in, our, in the church of Jesus Christ need to step up in those cases and step into those situations and help be men in those kids' lives because there isn't a man in those kids' lives. There are some action steps that you can take, and I'm gonna close with this. Uh, first of all, you need to confess your sin to the Lord. You need to call it what it is. Permissive, passive, abusive parenting is sin. Withholding discipline from your children, the Bible says, is a sin. You need to go to God and confess it. The wonderful thing about God is you can confess your sin before him. In fact, if you've never talked to God before and you don't have a relationship with him, the Bible says that you can go to him and confess your sin to him because you know you're a sinner. And when you confess your sin to him, you can receive salvation for your soul. And you can spend an eternity in heaven because you found salvation, but confession is where it starts and repentance of your sin. Step two is to apologize to your children. I'm, okay, wait a minute. I'm gonna go to my kids and apologize to them? Yeah, and then you ask for their forgiveness. And this is what it looks like. You gather your kids around. And Robin, tell me, let me scream out if I'm lying here. <laughs> How many times have I had to do that in our home where I've had to gather the kids around the table or gather the kids in the living room and this is what I say to them. Guys, you need to understand something. Um, when they were really little, I remember saying, Daddy, Daddy hasn't been the parent that I'm supposed to be. I've been missing it. I haven't been stepping into my role. I haven't been doing the things that I need to do and things are going to change. Now, they would gulp a little bit at that point because what that meant is Dad has not been parenting properly. I haven't been disciplining properly. In some cases, I was disciplining in anger and I was doing some other things wrong and I'm gonna change all that. But it's not like I'm going to them and saying, I'm sorry that we've been causing some pain in the discipline because, friends, no pain, no gain. That's what discipline is. But there's a new sheriff in town, basically, and the sheriff is God's word, God and his word, and we're going to discipline you now and we're gonna parent you the way God wants us to parent you. So get ready, some things are going to change. But your children need to know that you're sorry for that and that you've been doing wrong and they need to hear that and they will not disrespect you for that. They will respect you for that because you're willing to admit your weakness and say, I'm gonna fix it and I'm gonna change it. Will you forgive me for the way that I've been misparenting you because now we're going to start parenting you the biblical way. I'm gonna be a new and engaged father. I'm gonna be a new and engaged husband. I'm gonna do the things I'm supposed to do and I'm going to step, here's the third thing, step into the power and love of discipline. <clears throat> Look at Hebrews chapter 12, verse five. I love this passage, but it's painful to read. Have you forgotten the encouraging words? Uh, what did I just say? Encouraging words. Have you forgotten the encouraging words that God spoke to you as his children? 
He said, my child, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and don't give up when he corrects you for the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes each one that he accepts as his child. Yeah, but they won't like it, Phil. Duh, verse 11, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Isn't this what you want for your family? Answer the question out loud, my friends. Isn't this what you want for your family? They won't like it in the moment, but they will praise you for it later, I promise you. Step into the power and love of discipline. Here's the, uh, here's the fourth thing. Walk in self-sacrifice. Do the hard thing. Be done with self-absorption and self-protection and self-preservation. And then lastly, take the less traveled road. Be the man that God made you to be for the sake of the kingdom, for the sake of your family, for heaven's sake, for the sake of the whole world. Because you're raising world changers into the future. Our theme word for 2020 is intentional. And I just want to challenge you all. Let's become intentional parents. Not permissive, passive, spoiling, favoring parents. Let's be intentional to be the kind of parents God wants us to be. It's time to change the direction and trajectory of our families and the trajectory that our children are on. It's time to write a new story for our families. And we can do it. We can do it in the power and help of the Holy Spirit and the word of God that teaches us how to be the parents we need to be so that we can raise our children in the nurture and admonition of the Lord and break the cycle of generational dysfunction that's going on in this story and in many of our own stories. I'm gonna pray here in just a second as we close and um, before, before I do, I just wanna say this to you. Um, we're not sure of the future right now. We're not sure what tomorrow will bring. And literally, information is rolling out a day at a time, sometimes an hour at a time. And we're gonna do our best to communicate to you what those things are and any adjustments and changes. But until they tell us otherwise, the church is open. And open for a lot of reasons and in a lot of ways, but we're physically open. We're gonna open up tomorrow at eight o'clock, just like we always do, and we're gonna stay open, and we're here to meet your needs. And I really want you, to, I wanna lean into this, we don't know what your needs are unless you communicate them to us. And so stay connected to your life groups. I know you life group leaders, some of you, are, you're going to be doing some Zoom meetings and that kind of thing. That is so awesome, because we need to stay together, and we need to keep up with each other so that we know the needs, so that we can meet the needs. We want to help you in whatever way that we can. So don't hesitate. There's no shame in calling out, raising your hand and saying, I need some help right now. And we will try to come alongside of you and help you in any way possible. Um, we love you. We really do. And if I've got to be honest with you, I, I'm, I miss you like crazy already. And I can't even imagine what it's going to be like the next several weeks of doing this. Um, but until then, I want the Lord to bless you. And he will. And we're praying for his blessing in your life and in your world at every level. And we're gonna um, give you an opportunity at the end of the service. I think it's important um, 
we, part of our act of worship is giving, giving to the Lord, giving our tithes and offerings to the Lord. And so we're not, we, we're unapologetic about that. God loves cheerful givers, and God loves us to give to his work. And so um, it's different because we're not passing a plate and everything, but we want you to have an opportunity to give. So at the end of the, of the session here, they're going to put up three ways that you can give. You can stop in the church and you can give. But this is the point in our service where we're going to give you an opportunity to get online and give, write your check out, do whatever you need to do, um, and say to the Lord, like we always do, Lord, I love, I'm a cheerful giver, and I love to give to your work, and thank you for giving me the opportunity to give. Now is not the time for us to shrink back. Now is the time for us to advance the church and advance the kingdom. And so hopefully you'll have that in your mind as you do. So let me pray a prayer blessing um, over you as you give but also um, as we go. God, we love you, and we're so thankful for your love for us. What powerful words in the songs and from, that come straight out of your word that, um, Lord, we can trust in you. It doesn't matter what the storm, doesn't matter what the circumstance, it doesn't matter what the pain, doesn't matter what we're going through right now, we can trust in you and we can rely on you for our future in the present knowing that you care for us and you care about what we're going through. So I pray right now that you'll bless us as we give, that you'll bless us as we live this crisis out in our world. I pray for all the churches, all the evangelical churches, that your church, Lord Jesus, that it will rise up and be a powerful force of hope and love and grace to meet needs all over the world during this time, that people will be drawn to the light because it's the light of life coming from us. Help us in that endeavor, Lord. Bless my brothers and sisters. In Jesus' powerful name we pray, amen. God bless you, my friends.